0: So it's now a real privilege of mine to introduce our guest speaker today. Um, So some of you may have heard of our guest speaker. Some of you may not know who he is. So we have got the wonderful Mike Pilavachi. We're going to give him a cheer in a minute. But he is the senior pastor of a church called Soul Survivor in Watford. And he's a pioneer and leader of the Soul Survivor movement, which was this incredible movement of summer conferences that used to run for three, four, five weeks in the summer that saw up to 30,000 young people and young adults come and just encounter God. And if you speak to a cross section of Christians in this country for the last 20 years. The vast majority of them will have met God in a powerful way at these conferences. So he he really is an incredible man. And recently he received an MBE for services to young people in this country. So that's pretty amazing. So let's hear it for Mike Pilevaci. Hi, Mike. Um, I, I thought it'd be fun for us to get to know the real you, not just the, the Wikipedia headlines which I've given. there. Um, so you, I, I can ask you a few quick-fire questions, and we just want your, your gut reaction, quick response. Is that OK? <laughs> OK. Great British Bake Off or Strictly Come Dancing?
1: Great British Bake Off.
0: Correct. <laughs> it's food. <laughs> Okay, stay on the theme then. Scone or scone? Scone. Okay. Cream first or jam first? Jam. Jam. Okay. When you put a new toilet roll on, do you put it coming out the top or out the, out the bottom? Out the top, of course. Yes, correct. <laughs> um, Sheffield Wednesday or Sheffield United? Sheffield United. Yeah. Last question from me. I think this tells a lot about someone. When you go to the supermarket and you get a meal deal, what do you get?
1: (laughs) I don't think I've done that for years. (laughs) I wouldn't know what the offers are.
0: Well, that's correct as well. I'm so sorry. that's fine. It's fine. Let me pray. (laughs) I feel a failure before I've started. Right. (laughs) Think about it, tell me after. Let's pray for Mike, shall we? <laughs> Holy Spirit, would you come and fill this man of God? Thank you, Lord, that you have anointed him for all that you've, you've done through him. And we thank you, Lord, that, that you reign, that you've anointed this man, you've raised him up, and that you've put a message on his heart for us. But Lord, would you, would you open our hearts and minds to hear what you have to say today? Amen. Amen. Cheers, mate. Thank you.
1: Well, it... Um, it is an absolute um, joy uh, to, to be here. Um, I used to come here uh, quite, quite a few times, about 25, 30 years ago. Is anyone still around then? Oh, they were You are old. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and it 25, 30 years ago, and, and um, then, you know, the new vicar didn't invite me. Um, But now he has. <laughs> um, it is a joy, seriously, to be with you. Um, as a, as a, a pastor of a church, um, when I first started leading a church, um, I used to do what everyone else does, um, go um, every now and then um, to um, conferences uh, for, for, on leadership, on how to grow a church and I discovered very quickly that it was the same format at each conference. At some stage, um, they would invite a a really, really senior leader, a guy who leads a big, successful church to give the keynote talk. And the talk would go something like this. Um, Four weeks ago, there were 47 in our church, and now there are 2.3 million. (laughs) And we have satellite congregations on Mars and Venus, and our annual budget is bigger than the state of Texas. You too could have a church as large and successful as mine if you just follow these three principles, these four practices, these five ways. And I would take notes, and I would buy uh, the recording, and I would think, that's what I've got to do. That's, that I'm going to, when I get back, and I would go back to my poor church, and I would say, we're changing everyone, we're doing these three principles, these four practices, these five ways, and of course it didn't work in my church, and then I go to another church leaders conference and they'd wheel the next big mega church leader on to give the keynote talk and he would give three different principles four different practices five different ways and I would go back and I would I would turn everything around after a while whenever my church knew that I was going to one of these conferences they would intercede um, so that they would be protected from yet another turnaround. But then there was one time, I remember one of these, these pastors, and you know, they, were, they weren't bad principles or practices or ways. It was just that I tried to, 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 to take them and, and transfer them um, straight onto our church and it didn't work. But there was one church leader I remembered who, who said, um, if you want to have a church as big as, and successful as mine, what you have to do is you have to go out and look for the best of the best. And when you find them, you buy the best. You spend whatever you need to do to get the best people on your staff. And once you've got the best people on your staff, your church will grow. And then I thought, that's what's missing. I knew it. Because in my church, I've got rubbish on my staff. I need to go and find the best of the best and buy the best. And then I will have a big and successful church. And then it suddenly occurred to me, I haven't got any money to buy the best of the best. What am I going to do? And then I... What are you doing? Are you taking my photo? Come here.
0: <laughs> Come
1: This side. <laughs> yeah. No, there. Wait. Okay, that'll do. Well, if we're going to do it, we may as well do it right. From right over there. And what was I talking about? I was talking about something. Yeah, 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 no, we passed that. Ah, and then, you know, when I realised I didn't have the money to buy the best of the best, I then started feeling really sorry for Jesus. I thought, poor Jesus. He didn't have anyone to give him such good advice to go and get the best of the best. Because in those days, when all the top rabbis, they would go to the top rabbinical universities when they needed new disciples. You know, the Oxfords, the Cambridges, the Birmingham universities of their day. (laughs) They would go to the top rabbinical universities and they would look for the best of the best and when they saw real talent they would point to them and they would say you follow me you follow me you follow me all the top rabbis did that except one rabbi jesus he didn't go to the top rabbinical universities he went to the sea of galilee and he picked 12 morons (laughs) I mean, just stop and think. I'm sorry, but there was Peter. Whenever he opened his mouth, he put his foot in it. He just couldn't not, not say something silly. You know, there was Peter. I won't betray you. Everyone else might betray you, but not me. I'll, I'll stick. Oh, dear. Three times the cock crowed. And, then, and there was Peter. There was one time, there was one recorded instance where Pete, more by accident than design, got it Right? when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And and Peter somehow stumbled on the right answer. And Jesus was so flipping excited that he said, you are Rocky. (laughs) And can you imagine, Pete looked around the others. Do you hear what he said? He said, I'm Rocky. (laughs) And then the very next thing that happens, can you believe this? The very next thing that happens is Jesus is telling them how he's going to die a terrible death on the cross a gruesome death on the cross. And Pete says, no, don't do that. We don't want you to do that. And then Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. So Pete is rocky for a few minutes before he's Satan. Then there was, and there was Simon, who was a zealot. And do you know what the zealots were? Zealots were freedom fighters for Israel. They, they, they wanted to violently overflow, overflow, overthrow the occupying Roman power. And, um, and bring freedom for Israel so in other words he was a terrorist one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist but then Jesus also had in the same bunch of disciples um, Matthew who was a tax collector that doesn't mean he was a civil servant that means he took money from his own people and gave it to the occupying Roman power in other words he was a terrorist can you imagine the conversations between Simon, the, the zealot freedom fighter, and Matthew, the traitor, late at night after Jesus went to bed? That was a recipe for disaster. Then there was Thomas, who couldn't believe a word anyone ever said. It was like, oh, it's all gone wrong again. I knew it would go wrong. Oh, yeah, we may as well go and die with him. I mean, let's all go and die. I'm not going to believe he rose from the dead. I don't care. That um, you say you say, no 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 I want to, unless I put my finger here and my hand up his side no, I mean he was the he was the like the, the, the Mr Negative of I mean there's one in every church isn't there, you know they drain the life out of you, and that was and that was that was Thomas, and then there was James and John whose nickname was Sons of Thunder, not because they had digestive problems. <laughs> but almost certainly because they had bad tempers. It was a nickname of the bad-tempered ones. Can you imagine Jesus choosing, you know, you two, the bad-tempered ones? Come and follow me, you know? And, and, I mean, there was all sorts of stuff. I just want to look. I just want to look briefly at at one of them, at, at John. And John and his brother James as well as being bad-tempered ones, um, they were were massively ambitious, selfishly ambitious. In Mark chapter 10, we read this. Jesus has just talked about how he's going to go uh, to the cross and die and then rose from the dead. Uh, And in verse 35, "'Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. "'Teacher,' they said,' We want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They, maybe Jesus in his humanity was wondering, you're going to ask me not to go to the cross because you love me so much. If he thought that, he would be disappointed. They replied, after you've died that horrible death and risen from the dead, um, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You do not know what you are asking, Jesus said. And do you know when the other disciples found out that they'd gone secretly to ask him that? They were furious and there was a big row. Selfish ambition always causes division. Always causes division. And it was like the the bad-tempered ones were selfishly ambitious. Then they were vengefully violent. Here we go. This is crazy. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and we read this in Luke 9, verse 51 onwards. As the the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call cool fire down from heaven to destroy them? And it just says, but Jesus turned and rebuked them. Don't you sometimes wish the book was a DVD? Don't you? I do. Don't? I, it's like, come on, give us a bit more info here. I wish the book was a DVD. They're, the Samaritan villagers didn't want to give the disciples a cup of tea and a sandwich or whatever it was, and James and John say, Jesus, shall we call down fire from heaven and burn them all up? And it just records that Jesus turned and rebuked them. Now, I have had special revelation that has not been given to other people. And you can add this to your Bibles if you have a pen um, or a QR code. And, um, <laughs> and and add this in. I think it was something like this. I was thinking, boys, boys, I knew you weren't listening at the Sermon on the Mount. You were on Instagram, weren't you? You were tweeting. You weren't listening when I said, um, uh, if someone hits you on the one cheek, turn the other cheek. Love your enemies do good to those who persecute you. I didn't come to burn up Samaritan villages. I came so that Samaritan villages wouldn't have to be burnt. That's why I came. Jesus turned and rebuked them. So the bad-tempered ones, we have discovered, were not only selfishly ambitious, they were vengefully violent, And here's the third one. John, crazy guy. We're in John chapter 20. And here uh, John is telling. He is telling of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. They have just discovered it. This is the central point in human history. The whole Bible is leading up to this point where they discover that Jesus has risen from the dead. Listen to how John tells it. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and there he's talking about himself. (laughs) I'm the one he loves, don't you know? And said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple, i.e. me, John, started running for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, i.e. me, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So John, the whole of the Bible, the whole of human history, has been leading up to this moment And at this crucial moment, you felt it was absolutely vital that future generations should know that you are a faster runner than Peter. (laughs) And it gets worse. Listen to how he ends his book. (laughs) Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So John, you're actually telling us now that there are things that Jesus said and did that you left out because you didn't have space, but you still felt it was absolutely vital that we should know that you could do the 100 meters faster than Peter. He was not only bad-tempered, He was not only selfishly ambitious, he was not only vengefully violent, he was also excessively competitive. Would you have him in your church, in your small group? I wouldn't. (laughs) Jesus chose him. He chose him. And he chose Simon Peter. And he chose the traitor, and he chose the terrorist, and he chose the one that could never believe anything he said or did, and he said, follow me. Why, why? In 1955, in the state of Kansas, in the United States, there was a lady called Elizabeth Henson, um, she was just an ordinary lady, and one day she was clearing out her clothes and everything, and uh, she was throwing old clothes away. And she came across a horrible old green coat that was a bright green, and it was horrible, and it was velvety green, and and it was worn, and it was dirty, and it was frayed. And she thought, "What on earth? Why have I kept this all this time? I'm throwing it out." And as she went to throw it away, her son saw her, and he said, are you throwing that out, Mum?" She said, yes. He said, can I have it? She said, what do you want with this? It's useless. It's worthless. And he said, I'd, I'd like it. She gave it to him. He took it to his room. He cut it up. He sewed it back together again. He took a table tennis ball, and he cut it in half, and he sewed both halves on to that horrible bright green coat. Do you know what happened to that coat? It won an Oscar. Best, best actor. It won an Oscar. It had a hit record that was number one all over the world. It had a TV series that lasted for years and better than anything, that old worthless green coat had a celebrity love affair with the most beautiful pig on the planet. In the hands of Elizabeth Henson's son, Jim, that horrible green coat became Kermit the Frog. (laughs) That's an absolutely true story because Jim could see beyond what anyone else could see. He could see what that coat could become. And that's how I got in. That's how you got in. Because Jesus sees who we can be. He sees how he created us before sin marred us. And he takes us. He accepts us. And he remakes us. Jesus didn't go for the best of the best, although they're not completely unacceptable to him either. I mean... I'm in. And as you can see, I am a fashion icon to this generation. But... He chooses us because he loves us and he loves us in our brokenness and he loves us in our pain and he loves us when we walk with a limp and he loves us when we get it wrong. He loves us when we doubt him. I'll just say this really quickly. Do you know about Thomas? One of the things, I never saw it until a few, I was just, I was, preparing a talk for Easter Sunday, just this last Sunday. And I never saw it until I read. Have you noticed that sometimes you can read the same passage in the Bible hundreds and hundreds of times, and then you read it one more time, and you think, how did I not see this? Well, you know, it says, on the first day of the week, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene bright and early in the morning. She thought he was the gardener. Bless her. Bless her little cotton socks. He, I mean, he appeared to her, and then he appeared in the room that was, that was locked to all the, uh, all the disciples except Thomas, who wasn't in that day. On the first day, we first to Mary Magdalene, then to the others. And then Thomas comes, and they say, he's alive. We've seen him. We've talked to him. And Thomas says, No, you haven't. No, 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 no. And they say, he, we, we see, we saw the nail marks on his hands. We saw the mark where the spear had been up his side. We talked to him. No, no, you're wrong. You, do you know what you're having? I did psychology at university. And what you're having is is a, a group, it's it's like a, a group think thing. Where, where you're, you're, you're imagining stuff as a group. It's happened before, you know. No, he's not. Stop it. He's not alive. You just need to get, you, you need to grieve. If he's alive, where is he? Where is he? Jesus? Are you here? No, he's not here. Do you know what happened? Jesus, having appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other disciples, on the first day he rose from the dead. He then waits a whole week before he appears to Thomas. It's a week later. Why, do, why doesn't he appear later that day to Tom? I was thinking, why is that? Can you imagine what it must have been like for the other disciples on the Monday? Um, you seen Jesus again? No? Mm-hmm. I wonder why. <laughs> on the Wednesday. Oh, anyone seen Jesus Um, I told you, I told you, he's dead, he's dead. We saw him die, he's in the grave, he's in the tomb, forget it. Friday, oh, still think you saw, by this stage, I bet some of the disciples were starting to wonder, did we have a group hallucination? (laughs) I mean, maybe he's right. And then it's a whole week later, and Jesus appears, and he says, isn't this delicious? He says, hello, Tom. <laughs> I don't know if he says it quite like that, but that's how I imagine it. Seeing as it is a book, I've got to turn it into a DVD. You know, hello, Tom. And he says, come here. Go on, put your finger here. Put your hand here. And do you know what Thomas does? He falls down and he says, my Lord and my God. Why does Jesus wait a week? I think it's in his love so that Thomas can get all his doubts out, so that Thomas can express it all and say it all for a whole week, and then Jesus appears. And do you know what is amazing? This is amazing. I never saw this till a few months ago. Do you know who the first person in the scripture who says to Jesus, my God... It's Tom, my Lord and my God. He's the first person. I know the beginning of John's gospel, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. But, but that's not a person, you know, that's the first person is Thomas. Thomas, the doubting one, ended up with the honor of being the first person to declare that Jesus is God. Because do you know what he does? He takes us as we are. And in his love, he transforms us. And this is one of the best bits for me. John, who when he met Jesus, he had this nickname written over his forehead, the bad-tempered one with his brother. Sons of Thunder. After three years with Jesus, we just read it. He gave himself a new title, the one he loves, the beloved. That's what happens when you hang out with Jesus. He changes you from the inside out. He takes a useless, worthless green coat and turns it into the equivalent of Kermit the frog. He takes us, just like he did the disciples, and then... He does wonderful things through ordinary people because it's his treasure in jars of clay. It's his treasure in cracked pots because his grace is enough, is enough, is enough. And his power is made perfect in our weakness. And he takes us as we are and he uses us even in our weakness because if it was about, oh my goodness, that person's so strong, so gifted, that one's so, there'd be no reason to rely on him. But when we're out of our depth, that's where his address is. His address is at the end of our rope. That's where we find him. That's where we meet him. I have a friend um, who lives in Christchurch, New Zealand, called Ants, Anthony. And whenever I meet him, he's always telling me, you know, you sometimes meet people where they're so enamoured of their kids that they're always talking about their kids. Have you ever, it drives me nuts. You know, it's like, you know, there's certain people, oh, you know, and, you know, inside you think, do I look like I care? (laughs) Do I look like I'm interested? But on the outside, it's like, oh, my word, really? Oh, that's what, well, it's like that with Ants whenever I see him. And Ants, he's told me two stories about his little girl. And the first one is this. Um, um, Well, he's told me more than two stories. but (laughs) These are the only two I can get something out of. Um, (laughs) And he said, one day, his little girl said to him, she said, daddy, daddy, why don't we build a fire together? Why don't we make a fire? And he said, okay, we'll do that. And, um, and they went into the garden and they got all these twigs and they got all these logs and they put the logs on and the twigs underneath and then underneath they put some paper and then and then and they lit a match and he let his daughter put the match to the paper and she knelt down right in front of the little flame and she went like this. She went... Pfft. And Aunt said, more liquid went on the flame than air. And she kept going, Pfft. and Aunt said, even though she did that, the more of the paper started to burn, and then the twigs, and then the logs. And it became a great fire. And she turned to her daddy and she said, Daddy, did you see what I did? I started that fire all by myself. And her daddy said, you did. Daddy's so proud of you. What a wonderful, clever, brilliant little girl you are. And she was like this. I did it all on my own. But what she didn't know is that as she was kneeling right in front of the little flame going, her daddy was kneeling behind her. And he was going, And that, my friends, is exactly how it works. The best we can do is. (laughs) But we have a Father in heaven who is behind us going. (laughs) That's how it works. His power in our weakness. Last story, and then we pray. Ants and his little girl. He said to me, when his little girl was about four or five, something like that, her favourite toy was a porcelain doll, a china doll, which is a crazy toy for a a little girl to have you know because they're hard and they don't do anything and little girls of that age they loved soft dolls that they could cuddle and they could press and there would be you know they would cry or laugh or wee or whatever it was Uh, but she loved this china doll and they kept the china doll the porcelain doll on the mantelpiece and once a day every evening Before their little girl went to bed, they would bring the doll down, she would hold the doll, she would cuddle the doll, she would stroke the doll, she would kiss the doll, she would talk to the doll, and then they would put the doll back on the mantelpiece for safety and she would go to bed. One day, father and daughter were having a pillow fight and it got a little bit competitive and they went from room to room. And they ended up in the same room, in the living room, where the China doll was. And Aunt's little girl um, got underneath his defenses, and she gave him an uppercut with her pillow. And that annoyed him. And he thought, I am not going to let a five-year-old girl beat me in a pillow fight. So he thought, right, I'm going to give her one big whack. I'm going to end this, and I'm going to send her into orbit. And he reached right back to get a good swing, but he reached too far back and he hit the China doll. And the China doll fell from the mantelpiece and smashed on the floor in lots of pieces. Father and daughter just stood there. And his little girl, with tears in her eyes, she said, Daddy, you've killed my dolly. You've killed my dolly. He was mortified. He said, Darling, I'm so sorry. I've got a credit card, I'll buy you another one. And she said, but daddy, I don't want another one. I only want this one. And so he picked up all the pieces and he took them to his study and he bought super glue and he spent the whole of the next day putting the pieces back together and he used up all the pieces but not necessarily in the right order. (laughs) And when he finished, the doll looked like this. And he took the doll to his little girl and he said, darling, look, this is your doll. I'm so, so sorry. I promise I'll buy you another one. And she said, but daddy, I already told you, I don't want another one. I only want this one. He said to her, but darling, this one's broken. Her reply was, just because she's broken doesn't mean I can't love her. And that, my friends, is what I believe is God's word for many of you. Just because you're broken doesn't mean he can't love you and doesn't mean he can't use you. He specializes in using broken people. He specializes in loving broken people. And he takes us and he remakes us. And after we've basked in his love, whether it's for three years or 30 years, we end up with a new label, the one he loves, the one he loves. And when we know that deep in the core of our being, it communicates to others. I have no idea when I started, but I finished. I hope it was all right. Um, Oh, actually, you said I could... I had one and a half hours, so I'm just going to share another. <laughs> why don't we, um, why don't we just wait on the Lord? And Father, I thank you that you are the God who is love. I thank you that Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, came to reveal your Father's love to us, and you love us in our brokenness. And Lord, somehow you use us when the best we can do is your strength in our weakness. And now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you send your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you move among us? We welcome you. And we wait for you now. We know you've been here all the time, Spirit of God. But we ask now that you rest on us to heal us, to equip us, to empower us, to give us revelation. We bless you, Lord. Now we're just going to wait. No one needs to start a song or pray or prophesy right now. Just just wait. And don't strive. Just wait on him. He's here.